Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and creative control. I have for many years. I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years. They're good friends. Uh, but the truth is, he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as though he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Charlotte Cornfield is a talented multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and singer who hails from Toronto, Ontario. Drawing from influences that include David Berman, John Prine, Neil Young, and Joni Mitchell, among many others. Over the past decade and change, Cornfield has toured extensively and released a number of critically acclaimed albums, including 2019's The Shape of Your Name. Her latest record is a lovely and reflective one, written and recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, but spanning different times, places, and people in Cornfield's life. It's called Highs and the Minuses, it's out October 29th, 2021, via Nextdoor Records in Canada and Polyvinyl and Double Double Whammy worldwide. And it prompted Charlotte and I to connect for a conversation about her moving back to Toronto after stints living in Montreal 
and Brooklyn, New York, skateboarding and adults becoming kids again, growing up in a musical household and discovering alt-rock radio before playing music herself, the making of Highs and the Minuses with Howard Billerman at the Hotel Tatango Studio in Montreal, the fascinating background about her family's surname, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 645th episode of Creative Control featuring the wonderfully talented Charlotte Cornfield with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Let not believe in anything We're not supposed to go outside The stores are all closed Never seen this city so dead and so morose Hi, Charlotte. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Vish. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm well. I'm good. Yeah? I'm, it's it's getting better and better as I go. I will confess to you that I'm older now, but I still manage to cut myself shaving. I don't know how oh, this keeps happening, but I shaved and I cut my lip. So if I suddenly sound like I'm you know, spurting blood everywhere, it's because I have a bloody lip and I need to tend to it. This may be a bit okay. gross. It's a gross way to start, but i just trying to be honest <laughs> with you. My mouth sort of stings a little. It's sore. But otherwise, very good. Uh, you're good otherwise? <laughs> I, I'm doing well. Nothing so dramatic as that uh, okay. on my end. <laughs> That's good. That's good for you. That's good for everyone as far as I, as far as I can see. Uh, where in the world are you today, Charlotte? I am at my place in Toronto. How long have you been in Toronto again? Well, I grew up here. And then I lived in Montreal for a while and New York for a while, and I came back in 2014. So I've been back here since for about seven years now. Seven years, okay. And mm-hmm. was it cool growing up in Toronto? Yeah, I I loved it. It was I grew up kind of pretty central in the West End, and it was really fun being able to access all the great things about the city. And getting into the music scene when I was a teenager and being able to play shows and stuff, um, it just felt like a really great community, and I loved growing up here, yeah. Yeah, it seems cool. I miss it. I miss visiting it. I never lived there, but I worked there, you know? And yeah. And uh, would come in from Guelph all the time, and, and I do miss it. I miss everything. I'm, You know, we're in the midst of it. Just so if anyone's listening to this uh, 30, 20, 10 years from now, uh, Charlotte and I are speaking during a pandemic. So <laughs> everything's a little weird and uh, it's easy to miss little tiny things. Is there anything like where you, I don't know if you've had this during the last few months where you, you just couldn't do anything, but like one little thing, like you just wish you could do that one little thing. You kind of took it for granted your whole life. You're like, oh, you know, I, I wish I could just go to that bakery that I hadn't been to in months, uh, but even before the lockdowns and the pandemics, is there anything like that? Do you just one little nagging regret? I wouldn't say there were regrets. There were definitely things that I missed a lot, but not one thing where I was like, oh, I should have done this before everything went south. (laughs) 
Okay, um, that's fair. I mean... was Did you have something like that? Was it the bakery for you? Well, it wasn't the bakery per se. My circumstance is a bit different because my whole family moved from Ontario to Alberta, and then there was a pandemic, like within two months. So... Right. It was, we couldn't... There were, I was already going to be missing things, but I had kind of, you know, accepted that. And then yeah. the pandemic happened, and so I, here I don't really know what I'm missing because there's nothing... I didn't know anything. So it's kind of good timing, bad timing, because I can't get a little... You know, like when the case numbers drop and they loosen restrictions, you can kind of go and do a few things. Like, not as much as you used to, but you can go to the... Maybe there's like a limited capacity concert and you or, or something, or the restaurant opens, but limited capacity. So you can get a little taste of the way you used to do things. I have none of that, because I don't even know... I'm in like a purgatory. I, I miss things in Ontario, but I wouldn't be able to access them anyway. And I haven't been here long enough right. to miss anything. Do you, you see where I'm coming from? Totally. Yeah. And is Edmonton, like Alberta is pretty shut down right now, isn't it? Well, no, it should be. As we're speaking, it should be. Uh, by the time people hear this conversation, it might have been. Because what happens here is our premier of the province will say, uh, I'm not going to do this thing that all the medical experts are telling me to do. And about within a, like, some, sometimes it takes weeks, sometimes it takes months, but eventually he does the thing. He breaks down, you know, and just does the thing he was told to do weeks and months earlier. So that's the pattern. So as you're, yes, there's medical experts saying, Alberta, you just have to lock down and shut down everything in order to get over this crisis that your province in particular is not dealing with well. You know, it's a pandemic, so we're all going through it. But that's what's probably going to happen. So, no, it's not locked down. It should be, but it's not. Is Ontario locked down? No, we're, it's really starting to feel, um, and knock on wood, but it's, yeah, it's starting to feel good here. Like the past few days I've been at outdoor shows where it's felt like community coming back together and people were feeling good and safe about that. So, and I have some dear friends in Edmonton and I, they're basically like, we're afraid to go outside. So yeah, I hope that we can, I hope that we're all in a place soon where we can enjoy being back out and doing stuff. But I definitely feel for folks out west yeah. right now yeah it's bad it's really bad and uh, it is what it is i mean it isn't what it is that's a horrible expression i'm sick of it i mean it is the situation is what it is because of the leadership i guess and the mm-hmm. lack of anyone believing in anything <laughs> so it's yeah. very very complicated <laughs> you mentioned uh, that you lived in new york for a while which reminds me of uh, one of your uh, new songs on this uh, beautiful new record highs in the minuses uh the song Out of the Country, you kind of uh, highlight uh, a time you spent uh, in South Brooklyn in the summertime. Is that is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Okay, um, I'm very... Yeah, I was living... Very, very thorough. I'm, I'm pretty thorough, right? I'm usually fairly accurate. I did a little research, so I... Yes, you're... I re- uh, well, I listen to your podcast all the time, <laughs> and you're always very thorough. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. No, what, what brought you to Brooklyn? Uh, well, uh, when were you there, actually? So I moved there in 2012. I w- had been living in Montreal and hit a point there where I was just ready for a change. I'd finished university there and then spent a couple of years just living in the Myland, being in the music scene. And I had always had this dream of living in New York. So I decided to go sublet a place and try it out and then just kind of met enough people to scrape together some work and stuff there. So, yeah, I stayed for a couple of years. So, yeah, 2012 to 2014. That's fantastic that you uh, did that because I 
can I confess something to you in this, sure. this swirl of nostalgia and wondering what could have been that I'm sure I'm not the only one going through right now? I actually have had this recurring thought, like, what if I, instead of, you know, between semesters at university, like particularly the summer semester, you know, four months, what if I had told my, instead of going back to my parents' house, what if I had taken some sort of sublet in Brooklyn or New York and just hung out? I don't know how I would have been able to afford it. That's probably why I didn't do it. But it's a thought I've had. Like, what if I had done some, I don't know, musical collaborations with people I met because I knew people around that time I, I could have done it maybe mm-hmm. and or what if I had uh, done some uh, not that I can do it but what if I had done some like just to do it try to do some like open mics you know comedy some just mm-hmm. some like I've had this weird you ever have the thing where you're going to bed uh, Charlotte and you're you're trying to put yourself yeah. out so you kind of you have this like a recurring fantastical thing you do where you're like for me I it's stuff like that where I'm like oh if only I had said such and such to that woman in high school, or, or uh, what if I had practiced <laughs> harder at basketball? Uh, oh, what a what a youth I wasted! You know, I have those kinds of things. Do you ever have things like that? A little bit, but not much. Yeah, I have maybe my one kind of thing that I try to live by is not trying not to let regret get in the way of things. And I heard this. Leonard Cohen interviewed once where someone asked him if he regretted any of this, the decisions that he'd made specifically with regards to relationships. And he was just like, je ne regret rien. And I was like, I, I want to live by that. <laughs> sure. So, I regret nothing. So yeah, I that's a, that's a good call. Yeah. If I were to think about it, I'm sure there would be things where like I should have left that job sooner than I did, or I should have taken this opportunity when it came to me. But the on the overarching picture, I don't have any like major regrets. I will. I should. Yet. I will. I will backtrack a little bit, and suggest these are not full throated, full hearted regrets. They're just reflecting on what could have been here and I there. I see. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm not like I wish I had a time machine and I would do that. I just like what did I do? I went home and I worked at my dad's office, like you know, for the summer, miserable. Occasionally going yeah. out for concerts or whatever my friends and I could do in Cambridge, Ontario. But like, what the hell? I mean, I was a young kid. I could have probably swung it, done it, and, and it would have been fun. And then you come back to school and you're like, I had this adventure. Because I assume that's what, when you say you left Mile End, which is an exciting place, uh, and in some respects, uh, vaguely Brooklyn-y. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. But, but you hit a little bit of a wall in Montreal and thought, you know what? Why am I doing this? Why don't I go live in the States? I mean, was it enjoyable? It's a big city, uh, New York and Brooklyn. But I mean, did you did you have any meaningful experiences like uh, culturally or personally that still stand out for you uh, from your time in Brooklyn? So many. I think it was I had some of the biggest highs and the lowest lows that I've had in my life there. I think the most striking thing was the amount of life that just happens in such a short amount of time there's so much to take in and I was constantly having experiences where I'd be like I can't believe this is happening Hmm. and and bizarre things and connecting with people and uh just these magical I think as a teenager as a kid I would dream about New York and sometimes like I guess I visited a couple of times on trips with my family Mm -hmm. and had these grandiose ideas of how magical it was and those all sort of came to life when I lived there. I was like this, I didn't have 
money to do stuff, but it's like you don't really need it because just by being walking, there's so much that can happen or going to stuff. And so I, I connected with this theater group randomly through a friend that did a Tuesday night script. Like people would try out scripts and actors would go there to try to kind of get their names out there and they would have a musical guest each time. So I was invited a few times to be the musical guest at that. And through that, I met all these sort of wild theater people and people who had been living in the Chelsea hotel before it closed. And Hmm. it was a whole, yeah, a whole interesting scene. And there were just so many things like that that happened while I was there. Now, man, it is an expensive city to live in. And I don't know if you had uh, work there per se, uh, beyond what you were just describing. But mm-hmm. may I ask, like, it sounds magical. Why Why did you opt to leave Brooklyn? Yeah, so when I say I had some of the lowest lows, I around the time I left, I things just kind of took a downturn personally in ways that I couldn't really control. Like I was in a relationship with someone in Brooklyn and that was going really well and I really didn't want to leave. And I have a chronic illness, psoriasis, that's very severe, and Mm. I had been able to manage it throughout my teens and early 20s in various ways, but when I was living down there, I didn't have health care, and especially in the winter, it kind of got out of control, and then I had some family stuff happening, and a few, like, opportunities fall through and it was just this confluence of stuff where I was each day going like should I stay should I go should I stay should I go should I stay should I go and it got to the point where I was like well if I don't have my health stuff under control then nothing else is going to be under control so I decided to leave and I was really heartbroken about it and initially I was thinking I would try to come back but yeah I had never lived in Toronto as an adult and it felt like it was beckoning, and so, yeah, so that was that. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your psoriasis. This is a, a very severe skin condition, right? Yeah, so it has varying degrees of severity for different people. Like, there are a lot of people who have psoriasis, and it's just like a little red patch, and it's yeah. barely noticeable. But for me, I started getting it as a teenager and was like, oh, you know, I should probably get that checked out. And it just kept getting worse and worse to the point where... I was puzzling doctors left and right, and there's no easy course of treatment for it, and things like stress exacerbate it, stress and climate. So the more anxious I was getting about it, the worse it was getting, the more painful, and it got to a place where I really just couldn't do the things that I was doing before. Like It was unfathomable to me to like play a gig because I would be in such discomfort being out in a different environment or taking a bus to get somewhere. It was, yeah, it got, it's weird to think about now because for the last six years, I've been on a medication that has like basically got it under control. Okay, good. But to get to that point, yeah, I came back to Toronto and then spent a year kind of trying to jump through healthcare hoops to get um, on the medication I'm on because it's so expensive that it would be completely unaffordable if the government didn't cover it. Right. So, yeah, so it's a whole thing. Anyways, it's, Living with that has been like a defining experience for me because I feel like it really put things in perspective. And in my earlier, in my 20s, before things got to that point, I really had this idea of, 
you know, the world is my oyster. I can, I'm just going to do stuff and I'm, I'm going to have fun and I'm going to figure out music and I'm going to scrape it together and make it work. But that, that really threw me for a loop. And I think about things a little bit differently now. Well, it's good that you have perspective on it and it's good that you're, you're managing this a, a lot better. So that's all, that's all very good. Um, on, on the one hand, I mean, the fact that you were, t- were able to take, uh, what do, what do they say? You were able to, uh, there were learnings, there yeah. were learnings, uh, that <laughs> came from it in, in that perspective you described. So that's all good. Definitely. Yeah. Earlier I was talking about these sort of little regretful, fantastical memory jogs I go on and, and you said you don't really have those, which I think was just your subtextual way of saying that you're better than me. So thanks. <laughs> no, for, I was really not. Thanks for making me feel great. <laughs> no, I think I think what I was maybe trying to say is that I don't let myself go there because maybe if I started unearthing those things, that would sink into a fog of depression or something. Yeah, no, th- that's fair. But it's an interesting, uh, I just thought that was an interesting comment from you because from what I can tell, this is a very reflective and autobiographical record, uh, highs and the minuses. And I'm, Drawn, just based on our conversation, I'm drawn to the song Blame Myself, uh, which is kind of a reflection about your teenage years. And the final verse is, my tone knob is broken. None of the music shops are open. I was going to walk down. I still can't even drive. Part of me is still 17 in my mind. That's fascinating. That's Because that's what I'm, that's what I was kind of describing. Like there's, when I'm trying to will myself to, I don't know why it's only when I'm trying to get to sleep, but so some kind of like both comforting and not comforting uh, for me to travel back in time to around that time. Because what I was describing to you is around 16, 17, 18, like, okay, yeah. oh, what, you know what I mean? Like, what could I have done? Well, I mean, I guess I was also talking about being at university. So I guess 16 to like 23, what could I have done a bit differently to live life a little more fully? I guess is where I'm coming from because now I can't do anything because there's a pandemic. I have children. Yeah. I'm married. I have a mortgage. I have jobs. And like, I feel like, what did I do at that time? Like I did everything so normal. Anyway, this wreck back to you. I don't know why this always happens. You listen to the show. I was talking about me back <laughs> to you. So this seems like a very reflective record. Do you have a sense of what spurred this on this, this level of reflection? Yeah, I think I remember I was like playing with that chord progression and I started thinking about, oh, like this is the type of song I might maybe would have listened to when I was a teenager, like this kind of up-tempo, crunchy song. And then it made me think about where I was at, because where I lived, I've since moved, but where I lived for the last four years was very, very close to where I grew up, the house I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. I used to, after school on Fridays, go to Long McQuaid and play the electric drums there for hours until they closed. And um, I was living, at the time I wrote this song, close to the same Long McQuaid. So I think I was picturing it, and then all of a sudden, these memories of being a teenager in Toronto playing music came flooding back, and the intensity of feeling that I had and the like things that I said. And... Yeah, I guess it really ties into the the things that you're saying where sometimes I look back at things I did or said and I'm and they're a little bit like cringy, but then I'm like I don't want to blame myself for things that I did when I was still figuring it all out. 
kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, you have the perspective of being an adult, looking back at yourself as a teenager or a child. Um, I mean, it's striking to me that the record begins with skateboarding by the lake, which is about the kick-push thing of skateboarding. <laughs> but then it's it, it, it goes into headlines, which is very much like about an adult having to process the world and the news of the world. At least that, that was my reading of it. Is that too literal? I mean, I know this song is called Headlines, and there's, uh, I think, as part of the uh, chorus, skimming headlines, walking slowly, circling around. But that, to me, just made me think of what I do every day with my phone when I'm totally. just getting the day started. Is, is that an accurate impression? Definitely, yeah. It's totally about that kind of like being stuck sort of in the scroll. And then sort of early pandemic days when I wrote that song, geographically stuck too, and having those things happening at once and trying to process it all and get out of that loop. Yeah. That's yeah, that's very much where that was coming from. So so this sorry, just to clarify, this is so the one of the parts of the song is we're not supposed to go outside and the stores are all closed, never seen the city so dead and so morose. Roughly when did you write these words in late march 2020 right so this was that's what that's when the pandemic began i guess right Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i had been at the banff center for the first couple of weeks of march i was supposed to be there for three weeks for a songwriting residency and Mm -hmm. then we were sent home a week early and so i got back and then just like everybody else plans were canceled everything shut down and it's like okay now we're here. Was the whole song written in March? Because, like, I get that for the verse I just cited, that was everyone's sort of early, like, what the hell is happening? And why can't we go outside? And, you know, there are all sorts of photos of, like, New York City completely barren and empty. Uh, or Los Angeles, you could actually see the skyline because there wasn't any pollution from people moving yeah. about. So I get that part. But then the next verse is, it's a crisis, but we haven't got the words or the gall to describe it when everybody's heard different information and like to me that's where we're at now if you know what i mean like yeah. so was yeah, that all that ri- was, it was all written kind of around that time but the different information piece i think at that that was when everything was should we wear a mask should we not wear a mask what it, it was still very unclear what the right practices were mm. everyone was still like scrubbing down their fruit when they came back from the grocery store and so there was just di- different com- information coming every day, but that could definitely be applied to now yeah. as well. I feel like that, that whole, the whole last year and a half has been like that in a lot of ways. So it's interesting. Like The songs here seem to be time-traveling you back to your youth, but also reflective of now and what's happening now. Like They're topical as well. Um, so that's, that's pretty fascinating in itself. Like I know you were talking about how until recently you lived pretty much where you grew up and that I think that's what you were saying that might have inspired this batch of songs like just that reflective being in the same environment exactly as what you're reflecting on did I get is that right is that an accurate way of of saying what you said absolutely yeah and and just stopping for the first time in a really long time like really stopping and thinking and remembering like skateboarding by the lake came out of It was basically, I don't know, sometime spring 2020, I wanted to do fun things outside and I thought, well, I used to skateboard when I was a kid and I loved it and I stopped. 
why don't I try to wrangle a skateboard and do that? And it felt like a lot of people were doing things like that, like getting on rollerblades, getting on... Well, I didn't see a pogo stick, but I like to think maybe somebody was <laughs> pogo sticking. <laughs> and But it felt like adults were out having fun <laughs> because like there was really just nothing else going on. But in, the, in going back to my skateboarding days and thinking about that time, yeah, I just... I feel like I was tapping into my younger self and trying to maybe have some empathy for that person and think back and, yeah, remember who I was then. And, yeah, it was just a really interesting experience. And I think there are a few songs on this record where that were snapshots from different eras of my life up till now, yeah. but that for some reason were ringing true to where I'm at now. Do you think all of these adults going back to activities from their youth uh, was simply because there was nothing else to do? Or do you think that maybe subconsciously and psychoanalytically they were trying to return to a mode of life that felt comfortable and safe? Because a lot of this activity you're describing did occur during a pandemic when there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some of us, we have our own... When you're a parent, I forget you. Do you have children, Charlotte? I don't. You're right. Sometimes when you when you're, I mean, not sometimes. I think by and large, as a parent, as your children develop, uh, you end up having to uh, do things with them, uh, play with them, and in some ways, in some cases, particularly when they're very young, you sort of I don't want to say regress, but I guess it is you regress and you you blow the dust off the the books you read as a kid. And you break out the games and the toys that you played with as a kid. Because for some reason, I mean, not some reason, that's what you know. Like, that's what you yeah. remember from when they were, when you were their age. So it's it's only natural. Eventually, they start to be like, hey, here's Pokemon or here's whatever, you know, they're into. And then you're like, oh, okay, tell me about that. And then you end up playing yeah. together that way. But I guess in this context, because of the pandemic, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, adults were doing stuff that they did as kids. But I've been thinking, mm-hmm. or, or watching old, I watched, rewatched all of Seinfeld on on a streaming service here in Canada, or I rewatched stuff from the 90s, just stuff I was into, because that's a time that I, well, that was a formative time for me, but I also took some comfort in it, watching old movies and, and shows. So I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think the pandemic has spurred some of us to revisit those things because they represent uh, a happier time, a more safe time for us? Yeah, I think so. I think, I I mean, speaking for myself, I was looking for little moments of joy and simplicity and being outside sort of gliding around was really that. And it was also a really special time to be out there doing things like that because the streets were so quiet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the city became this other thing. It became a sort of a playground and I think... For me, I was like, oh, there are different ways I could explore it. Like, I've walked down these streets every day for however long, but have I, like, skated down? Have I explored these little nooks and crannies? And I feel like other other people were on that wavelength, too. But I do think it ties into what you were saying about childhood and those simple joys and things that we love as kids that, for some reason, sometimes they get left behind, but... Yeah, I think it was sort of a renaissance of a lot of stuff. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I mean, within all that, are there parts of this, I know this can be, 
it's important not to sound callous about this because oh, there's been a lot of suffering uh, on every level. But are there any aspects of this uh, slowdown, lockdown, this pandemic that have been um, good on some level, just in terms of maybe workflow, anything like that? Just any aspect of it where you're like, I don't actually miss some of the things we used to do just like routinely, like some of the stuff we don't have to do anymore. I'm actually okay with it. Have you had any of that? Definitely. Yeah. And I think obviously I'm speaking from a place of privilege and having like a good place to be during the pandemic. And yeah, I think a lot of people obviously had really awful and stressful experiences, but I, yeah, I do think that I really got into this groove of looking at these wide swaths of time and trying to see them as an opportunity Mm -hmm. and what happens when I don't have a show to play or to like go to every night. Cause I was also running a venue for years where there was just constant activity and that was really great. But I just started to feel in these, in this last year and a half, like when there isn't that constant thrum of stuff, I have more time to dig a bit deeper and think and create and one one thing I've learned about myself that I sort of already knew is like I'm really not a night person mm. and so touring um while it's it's great to be able to play shows and I'm excited to do that again I would come back from tours and be really really exhausted and have take a long time to recover yeah. from that yeah. and I think, yeah, things like sleep and nutrition, <laughs> I've been like, those are great. <laughs> those are good things, yeah. And sometimes we take them for yeah. granted in the whatever the whatever rat race we're a part of. I agree. What venue were you managing? Burdock in Toronto. Oh, the Burdock. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a nice, nice little room. Is it is it active again? Is are there things happening there? I'm not sure where they're at. With I mean, they're they're a brewery and bar as well, and they're doing that. I'm not sure yeah. where their heads are at with music stuff. I, yeah, I sort of came in with them as they opened because they wanted someone to run the venue. And it was a job that I loved and did for four years and actually in mid-2019 left because I was feeling like I wanted to devote more time to music and didn't want a full-time yeah. job anymore. But yeah, it was a really great spot to be part of and a really just great kind of like touchstone for me in the city, especially coming back after being away for a while it quickly yeah. opened my eyes up to what was happening. Nice. That's cool. Hmm. You know, we've been kind of, as I say, dwelling upon some aspects of your youth. I guess uh, that might be a, a nice enough uh, way to get into how you got into music because we haven't really covered that. Mm-hmm. How, how did you first uh, become smitten with music as a fan? And then uh, how did all of that translate into you actually taking it up yourself? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because... I grew up with music from the time I was born because my parents are both music lovers, but my dad is a classical cellist and was a radio producer. And from the time I was tiny, he worked for CBC. I was backstage with him and in the CBC recording truck as he was recording oh. shows and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I was... Did he, may, I, may I ask, did he record anyone that you that sticks out for you? Yeah, I, I mean, lots of people. He did some really cool stuff, but he did the Edmonton Folk Fest, I think, a year that Joni Mitchell played. And I was only oh, five, wow. but I still am, like, holding on to that thing. It's like, oh, I saw Joni Mitchell. Did but you he, encounter her on a personal level? 
No, like I've never met her. Okay, um, okay. But yeah, his main thing is classical and jazz. So that was kind of the world. And my parents were really like, we got to put them in music lessons. And hmm. so I started playing piano when I was five and was always doing like choir stuff at preschool. And the earliest memories that I have, I was just always really into music. But I think as a kid, it's still a chore where, oh, I have this thing that I like doing, but it's still, I have to practice and that sucks. And, <laughs> and like it just felt like it, I, I didn't have a real intense personal connection to it until I hit 11, 12 years old. And that's when the broader pop music term, but I sort of just mean non classical jazz type sure. stuff. Like the things that I was hearing on the radio started really resonating with me on a personal level. And I started playing, like teaching myself guitar in grade seven. And around that time, I also started playing drums. Like my, I had a piano teacher up till that time. And at one point he confronted my parents and was like, you know, I think like Charlotte just doesn't really care that much about you yeah. know what we're doing like she obviously likes music but i don't think she's like into this so yeah. my parents and i'm really grateful to them were really supportive of me getting a drum kit putting it in the basement starting to have people come through and rehearse and so yeah it was basically around 11 12 that i started going really deep right but yeah from the earliest i can remember it was always just the backdrop of life. There was always music playing. There was always someone playing music. That was just, yeah. That was just okay. It. That's cool. What were you hearing on the radio at 10, 11, 12 that sort of turned your head a little? <laughs> I mean, I was listening to Edge 102. So it, the rock radio of the time was speaking to me at that age. So basically things like Matchbox 20, <laughs> Nickelback. Did Edge, 10, did Edge 102.1 play Matchbox 20? Yeah. I don't re I remember. Just for those listening from around <laughs> the world, Edge 102 was like the, well, it probably had different formats, but when I was in the 90s in particular for me, and I don't know what era you're talking about there, Charlotte, but for me, we used to listen to it, and it, it was like the alt-rock, commercial alt-rock station that I don't know enough about it to know what its formats were what artists they profiled or played prior to Nirvana, but they, I think they were one of those stations that, that adopted a, a change in aesthetic after Nirvana. Yeah. I might be wrong about that though, but I just never listened to it till around so post Nirvana. So that's mm -hmm. what I remember about it. And it was always like smashing pumpkins and filter and nine inch nails and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and Nirvana but you were listening to it and they were playing... I don't remember Matchbox 20. So I, I think you were listening a little bit later than me or after this me. This would have been like 98, 99. Okay. Yeah. Like this yeah. is Tea Party, Big Sugar era. Right, um, okay. Canadian Canadian kind of <laughs> schlock rock, alt schlock rock. Sorry, no offense, Charlotte, but that's how I... No, I, I am <laughs> in full agreement. Actually, this is a regret that I have. If I could go back, I would have told my 10-year-old self, like, turn this off. <laughs> Um. I remember in, in 1995, like I, I went to the first ever Warped tour, uh, which oh, was wow. at the it was at the CNE in Toronto, which is like the, it was in Exhibition Stadium where the Blue Jays used to play before they 
uh, mm-hmm. moved over to the to the whatever it's called. I we call it I forever it will be the Sky Dome. I think it has a different name now. But anyway, the Blue Jays used to play there, and I went to the first Warp Tour, and there was a band from Toronto called Trigger Happy playing, and they had a T-shirt, and I still have it. It's a green T-shirt, and on the front it says CFNY kills music dead. CFNY were the that was with the call letters for Edge One Hundred Two. CFNY okay. kills music dead. <laughs> And on the back, there was a quote from Johnny Rotten that said, never be nice, it's the kiss of death. And uh, so I was already like, so this is 95, it's pretty early, you know, I'm like 17, and I was already like, yeah, there's something not right about this radio station. I feel like there's more yeah. to explore. But at the same time, that was my initial foothold into a whole universe, and that's usually what happens, right? You pick up Rolling Stone magazine when Nirvana's on the cover as a kid, and then you think... And and even Kurt is wearing a shirt that says "Corporate magazines still suck." Uh, that was yeah. my, those were the kind of like mixed messages. I was like, "Okay, I, he's on the cover. He's agreed to the interview." And you know, some of these bands would be more than happy to be played on CFNY, but they also kind of bite the hand that feeds them. What's going on there? And then you learn more about the hand, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I don't like this hand either." And then you then you start yeah. exploring. Sorry, did that happen to you? Were you like, "There's a whole world out there beyond CFNY, the edge." I need to figure this out. Did, you, did that happen to you? Totally. Yeah, I think, especially as I started playing guitar and getting into songs, I was like, oh, the things I'm listening to are not doing it for me. And in my grade seven class at school, there, we had a guitar. We had a bunch of guitars at school, which was awesome. And we mm-hmm. had a guitar unit. And the, there were all these tabs for songs like Helpless by Neil Young, Heart of Gold. Um, what were some of the other ones? Just some some classic songs and so then I started going and finding the actual recordings of those and because another bonus of having a CBC dad was that he had access to the music library and oh, would just wow. right. bring all these CDs home and burn copies for me and I had a discman so by the time I was 13 it was like Ziggy Stardust, Led Zeppelin 4, Joni Mitchell, Bobby Lynn Blonde on Blonde and I was like, okay, this is what good music actually is. And nice. by the time I hit grade nine, I was scoffing at everyone who was listening to Blink-182 and Simple Plan. I was like, that stuff is garbage. You, don't, you guys don't even know what's good. <laughs> like I become became such a snob yeah. about it. And I also had, I think when I was 13, I started taking drum lessons with this guy, Ryan Granville-Martin, hmm. um, who's really cool and, and has become like a dear friend over the years but he at the time I was still listening to some schlocky stuff and he basically like slapped some sense into me and said and gave me a bunch of things to listen to like these are the things (laughs) that you should be you should be learning the drum beat from the immigrant song like not something by Nickelback it's it's telling though like uh you know just again in the context of discussing this particular record of yours like it's telling that there, there are various points in your life where you just don't feel of the time you're in. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the, the stuff that's out in the world doesn't speak to you as much as stuff from the past, whether it's your actual coming of age past or, you know, 50, 60, 100 years earlier. You just feel like, yeah, something about right now is not speaking to me, like a lot of us have been mm-hmm. dealing with during a pandemic where you're like, the news sucks, everything sucks, I want to transport myself out of this time by immersing myself in other music, other culture, other books, other whatever. Yeah, that's just kind of, I don't have a question. That's just something that I think we all go through. And it sounds like 
you've gone through that a little bit throughout your life of like, I'm here now, but I'm not going to necessarily immerse myself in the now. I'm going to reflect upon the past or study aspects of the past to see how they inform my existence now. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure, making sure I was saying (laughs) something sensible there. I just... It's just, I do it too. I'm looking at, I'm just glancing at my record collection. I mean, I buy new records all the time, but I'm, if I, I, I wonder what percentage of it is from not now, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's for, for a while there, I sort of in my teens, I was like, you know, the old stuff is the best stuff. And then while I was in high school, that's when the whole Toronto, Torontopia, indie rock thing happened maybe Toronto the good I believe yeah Toronto the good is that what you call it yeah, <laughs> yeah and those like yeah. concerts that started happening on Olympic Island and things like that oh, yeah. and yeah so towards the end of high school I started embracing all the new exciting indie rock that was happening and going to going to a bunch of shows hmm. and seeing a lot of really inspiring stuff and and feeling that community being being alive but yeah I I remember writing a song a song that like I think was total garbage but in my early 20s where I said I I was born at the wrong time I was just like I I don't fit into this era at all but then I think about that and I'm like well if I had started playing music if I was a teenager in the 80s like as a young girl wanting to play drums I probably would have come up against barriers that I yeah, I just I even see how how much things have changed since I was a teenager and I always felt like I was the only or one of a few girls in the rock band setting and now it's just like totally different and I and I love it. So in that way, I think things are progressing in a really positive direction. So I'm excited to be in this era that we're in right now. Yeah, there I agree with you. I do I will say from my first-hand experience like my son takes piano. My son was interested in guitar. My daughter uh, was in singing lessons, but when we've said, and she did well, frankly, probably the best singer in the house, actually. If I, She's only six, but she's she can do it. If she really wants to, but she also just doesn't want to do anything because we'll be like, <laughs> do you want to take piano like your brother or whatever? And she'll be like, no, don't want to. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Just let us know when you want to. If you're interested, you can always do it. She's like, okay. But she doesn't, there's something about it. She doesn't want to, she wants to copy her brother in so many ways, but there's some, my my wife has observed it. Like there's certain things and he's in soccer and sports and she doesn't think that that's something, we think she doesn't think that's something that girls do sometimes. So it's a bit, even though we obviously, or not obviously, we she's exposed to everyone doing everything. You know, we watch all sorts of sport during the Olympics in particular. Like, we were like, check it out. Like, you know, whatever. There's women doing the same thing. And, and, and she was like, right. So it, anyway, I'm not asking you to help me parent my child, but I'm just saying <laughs> that I, I still, in my firsthand experience, see my daughter seeing barriers where we hope there aren't any. Yeah. And, and that's all I'm getting at. So I appreciate where For you're... Sure where you're coming from on that level as well. Um, I was going to say that, you know, you've said a couple of times these songs don't reflect regrets about the past, 
per se. They're just reflections upon your youth and other aspects of your life. But there are a lot of heartbreak songs here. And there's part of me that wonders if this is one subject uh, that you're thinking of. Are these different partners? Like, am I wrong? Like, that seems to be a, it's a hard, sometimes it's hard. Like, the, the heartbreak and the anguish and the, I think, anger at some of these people that you've met in your mm-hmm. life, if not this person. <laughs> I, I, that's what I hear. Am I off base there? Uh, no, you're not off base. Like, there's definitely, I mean, I've, I guess I've always been drawn to writing about human relationships and specifically heartbreak because those are, yeah, those emotions are really visceral. And I feel like there's, there's a universality to that. Like anyone who has had their heart broken. Yeah. knows kind of knows what I'm talking about and yeah. And so I would say the last record that I made was much more in that, world of not necessarily about one person but similarly like reflecting back and thinking about these times but but this one yeah because I was sort of in a reflective state I was kind of looking at yeah there were a few different things and people who came up and then there's also some like like just straight up love songs that don't end badly yeah um yeah. which I was really happy to have on this record <laughs> to be honest <laughs> No, it's great. Um, I, I think that's great that you've you've done that. Does it give you any particular perspective on where you're at now? Just reflecting upon, I know we've talked a little bit about that already, but just these different, again, I'm going to, uh, am I right to say these are different figures in your life? You said that, I think, right? These aren't the mm. same. So what perspective does it give you on how you deal with relationships now? Like all of this, I know this from my own experience, so you have... Uh, good relationships and bad relationships and they inform your next relationship but in writing these songs does it sort of give you a little instruction manual (laughs) as to who you are in relation to people you have in your life totally yeah and i think like i've i'm in a healthy long-term relationship now and so i was writing songs from that perspective too as being able to have more perspective on what was going on then and more looking back instead of this just happened yesterday and that was messed up. (laughs) Yeah, Um, right. So it was more like, oh yeah, that that was a really painful experience. That was kind of like a toxic situation. And man, I would never do that again kind of thing. So yeah, so to answer your question, definitely looking back from a different perspective and... I guess being in a in a really good place and looking back on times when I wasn't it just yeah it's just interesting and, and it's validating those thoughts of like oh yeah that was really painful and that did stay with me for a long time or yeah that that was a, a dark time period for me or whatever right but I'm not okay. there anymore well that's good that's all healthy that all sounds pretty pretty goddamn good if you ask me <laughs> It feels good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if I understand things correctly, your most recent album, the one preceding this one, uh, was uh, out in 2019, The Shape of Your Name, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. interestingly, or preceding a time of isolation, lockdown, Shape of Your Name you mostly made on your own, right? Like with playing all the instruments, is that correct? Yeah, like on a lot of it. there were, I had some people... Um, on it at different periods but it was really solitary and 
I worked a lot with my friend Nigel Ward in Montreal, and it was often just the two of us in the studio. And the record happened over a drawn-out three-year period, so there was a lot of... Yeah, it was just a really different experience than making this current record. Right, so I guess what I'm getting at is it took you three years just before a pandemic. You release a record, well, not just before, but in 2019 you release a record that is basically just you and you and primarily one other person. This record, I think you made during a pandemic with like Mm -hmm. many, many people. Is that right? Not many, many people, but I think... (laughs) What made it, I mean, more people than just me. Yes. But it was, I really wanted to just get a band in a room and do a lot of it live. And we recorded it in five days. So really, really different than a sort of labor-intensive three-year thing where we we were just paying attention to every little detail and sound. And I'm really proud of The Shape of Your Name and, and how it turned out. But I was really like, I just want to capture some emotional immediacy on this record and I want to be playing with people together because I haven't done that in a while and so well but but Charlotte nobody had done it in a while I, that's what I'm getting it's at. true like you managed to pull people into a room when most people weren't spending time together in rooms is what I, I assume what roughly when did you when were these I think were these sessions I know they were with my 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 old friend Howard Billerman were they at the Hotel to Tango in Montreal they were, yeah, and they were August, end of August, beginning of September 2020. Right. So it was this little window where basically Howard hadn't opened up the studio aside from the odd like one person in at a time thing yeah. in months, and then our session happened and another couple sessions, and then Montreal went into lockdown and the studio had to close again, so we really caught this perfect window mm. where it was okay to do it, and... Yeah, so in that way, it was a really special experience. No, well, I mean, the specialness comes through on the playing. I know with uh, mostly live off the floor, is that what we're hearing with this record? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I brought in my friend Liam O'Neill from Soons to play drums and my friend Ali Levy, who has a project called Adelaia, mm-hmm. to play bass. And the first three days were just us, the three of us playing together and then... I did a couple piano songs and my friend Sam Gleason came from Toronto to add some textural stuff on guitar and synth and Amy Milan came in to sing on a song. But that, yeah, that was it. And that all happened in five days, basically. So it was a lot of live stuff. That's great. I mean, it comes the spirit of that comes through here on this record. Um, I guess uh, a couple of questions. It's Mm kind of hard to know what comes next, I think, even as we're speaking in terms of maybe touring and whatnot, future plans, but do you do you have anything planned as we're speaking right now? Yeah, I do have some shows coming up, which I'm excited about, and I think there will be more to announce in the coming weeks and months, so I'm really excited at the prospect of going and playing in front of people again and putting out this record and yeah, just having it out in the world and sharing it with people. And I think I'm always sort of thinking in terms of the next thing. So I've got a bunch of songs on the go and oh, cool. I'm excited to dig into them. And um, yeah, especially after the last few days of feeling like there were events happening in Toronto, I'm just really excited for things to come alive again and to do some of the other musical things that I was doing beyond my own 
project, like playing drums for people mm. and collaborating with folks. So I think that's something we take for granted as music fans is that musicians feed off of the energy of other musicians. Definitely. Meaning if you see a band or see a show, for some of us, we get a little buzz from it. And for people like you, it's not only a buzz. It's like, I got to write something. I got to make something now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you must be missing that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, excited. Excited for, for more of that, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if people want to learn more about uh, you and this record... Uh, using the computer, uh, where would you like to send them? Well, I have a website um, that is just myname.com, charlottecornfield.com. Ooh, that's fancy. <laughs> that's fancy. Your website address is myname.com, and everyone knows that to go to it, they get some Charlotte Cornfield information. Is that right? Um, I wish. I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had that domain. I can't believe you even got it. I thought there'd be a lot of demand for myname.com. <laughs> wow, I am really drilling down on this terrible dad humor. But yes, it's charlottecornfield.com. Is that correct? Yep. And then, yeah, my music is all in all the places that one might find music. I'm in all the places that one might find a social media account as well. So okay, so you're at at Charlotte Cornfield is I'm, what you're saying. <laughs> Well, yeah, I have different <laughs> handles. Like, I'm at Sharkorn on Instagram. I'm at Cornfield Music on Twitter. But, yeah, I'm there. Yeah. I don't mean to get too nominal or I don't know if it's etymological, but your name, Cornfield, is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's not fascinating to you because maybe you've been asked about it a billion times. So do you know, what, what is the origin of that name? Yeah, so I don't know the f- full history, but it, it was Cornfeld. My dad is Jewish. He was oh. born in Israel, and the family's roots are in Poland, I believe. And okay. it was likely Kornfeld with a K initially. So, um, yeah, and my grandfather, I believe, maybe in the mid-40s, changed his name to Cornfield. I, I don't know exactly when it happened, but... I know it had to do with not wanting a German-sounding name during a war. (laughs) Um, Probably a a Jewish name as well during the war, I would think. Yeah, Yeah. and so then... But since then, my my dad's sister has gone back to Kornfeld, I believe. Mm. But, yeah, but I've always been Kornfeld. My dad's always been Kornfeld. I guess I'm... I will say I'm vaguely sorry for even asking about it, but I just because I don't know, I maybe it's boring to you, but I will say, and this might I'm going to double down on the awkwardness. I wondered if it had like an in, indigenous connotation because there's so many indigenous names that are you know like that cornfield. You know what mm. I mean? Or anyway, so then I, that's why I, I, this is even more fascinating. Again, I'm sorry for prying. I just thought no, I would that's ask. Okay. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it actually recently just what it means to have an anglicized name and what the significance of the old slash real name is and if it's all part of evolution over time of things in general Hmm. but personally i'm grateful that (laughs) my grandfather changed the name to something that worked for the genre of music that i do (laughs) yeah Um, yeah no, no, that's great. Um, 
Well, as we're speaking, the, this record, uh, uh, Highs and the Minuses, is uh, available for people to listen to. I wonder if, uh, just to give them a taste, if they haven't heard the whole thing yet, is it possible for you to pick a song for us to go out on? And if so, can you tell us why you chose it? Yeah, I'd like to pick the song Black Tattoo. And I am picking it because I think it might be my favorite song on the record. And it's a love song that I worked on for a long time. And I think the recording, I'm really happy with the recording. I feel like we really, together, like Ali and Liam and I, captured some emotion. And yeah, it feels representative of the album. It's very uh, vivid lyrical imagery, if I might say. I don't mean to uh, uh, embarrass or shock you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But no, it is very vivid. And in the lyric sheet I have, by the way, I believe it's the only song uh, title, Full Caps Lock. Is that the way it ends up on the record? Oh, no, um, that would have probably been my mistake. (laughs) Because, like, I'm just, I'm scrolling through the lyric sheet, and, uh, you know, on the one hand, you've got Pac-Man, and that's, that's spelled the way it would. And then all of a sudden you've got black tattoo. It's like you're yelling. <laughs> and then it goes to and blame it's a myself. Quiet it's quiet. Yeah. So it's interesting. I just thought maybe it was a, a yelling. But any in any case, you, you won't feel yelled at when you hear this lovely new song <laughs> by Charlotte Cornfield called Black Tattoo uh, from this uh, wonderful new album, Highs and the Minuses. Uh, Charlotte, let's we're going to play it for our people right now. Charlotte, thank you so much for making time for me and for, for being on the show. I've long wanted to have you on. So it's a. Uh, been nice to to catch up this way i hope you enjoyed yourself and uh best of luck in the future thank you so much thank you for having me i'm a huge fan of the show and yeah super honored to to be able to chat with you you muscling through the crowd so gently i know you see me i know you see me circling you Pacing your face in my frame Passing you all of my friends You're not capable of telling lies You tell me everything I want to know And in the glistening sand You hold me I'm in overalls We're gonna hit the ocean And I watch you splash around Gentlest smile I ever found When you whisper in my ear You don't tell me Everything I wanna hear You just tell me
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks once again to Charlotte Cornfield for appearing on this, the 645th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me, sign up for my monthly newsletter. Please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one just as soon as is humanly possible. And also while supplies last. I think that last part should fall under humanly possible. If there's no supplies, 
that a human made and a human kept keeps in his basement and then he goes you know you ask and then I, a human goes down to see oh well another human wants a shirt and it's not there because the human wanted a specific kind of shirt and I don't have any more that's humanly impossible to get you this shirt anyway patreon.com slash creative control more information about some of the things I just said thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use the instrumental version of his song, The Rest Is Yet To Come. You can hear it right now. Do you hear that song, The Rest Is Yet To Come? He lets me use music of his on the show all the time, actually. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode for subscribing to the Creative Control Podcast and following it and asking your friends maybe to do the same and, you know, just spread the word about the show. Check out Charlotte's new record, Highs and the Minuses, and look out for tour dates and other things. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for being uh, with me in this episode and with Charlotte. And uh, I hope I'll talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. Be well. Bye for now. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.